following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and was recorded at Westminster Chapel in Toronto. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Well, good morning, my brothers and sisters. I have to say that I am grieved to be back in my office on a Saturday afternoon to deliver this message to you, because it shouldn't be this way. We should all be together in the sanctuary on this Sunday morning. Not me alone in my office on a Saturday afternoon, and not you in your homes on a Sunday morning. And so I am grieved, because it shouldn't be this way. We should be together this morning. We should be together listening to the Word of God. We should be singing His praises together. We should be praying and confessing our sins together. We should be coming to the Lord's table together. And so this morning we are reminded that we are going through a time of testing. We are reminded that we are under the Lord's discipline, that His hand is heavy upon us, because here we are again. We are separated on this Sunday morning. And so we're grieved, but remember what we heard last week from the Apostle Peter. That even though we are grieved by this trial, even so we rejoice because we know God's purpose, His intention in this trial. He is testing our faith and so that we are stronger in our faith and so that we're being refined and purified in our faith. And He is turning our hearts to the Lord Jesus Himself. And for that reason, we're rejoicing. The Lord is revealing idols in our hearts. And he is removing idols from our lives. Now, as we think about that teaching from last week, being purified in our faith, being refined, we need to recognize that there is no purification. And our faith is not strengthened unless we repent. And yes, the Lord may reveal idols in our hearts. He may reveal idols in our lives. But those idols will not be removed unless we repent of our sins. And so God's word to us this morning is a call to repentance. And that's why we just heard Psalm 32, because this is a prayer, a psalm of repentance. And if you look at the psalm, there are two parts to it. In verses 1 to 5, we see there David's call to repentance and his own experience of repentance. And then in verses 6 to 11, we see the fruits of repentance. The fruits of repentance are a renewed life of prayer and obedience, of witness and of worship. And we saw this last week. The reason that the Lord is testing us is so that he might renew us and revive us. This is a time of renewal and revival, but it won't be unless there is also repentance. So we turn our attention to Psalm 32. Now look at those first five verses. There we see... David's call to repentance and his own experience of repentance. But notice how he begins. He begins with the gospel. He begins with good news. He begins with the announcement of God's blessing of forgiveness, the announcement of God's blessing of grace. And so we begin with the gospel. We begin with this good news of blessing, of forgiveness. But notice there too, in those verses... David announces and describes our sin, its transgression, its sin, its iniquity. And he uses three words there, and those three words provide a certain diagnosis of our sinful state before God. So transgression, sin, iniquity. 
we need to consider those three words. First of all, he says transgression. Transgression. And this is a word in Scripture that refers to an open, an obvious, and intentional transgression or rebellion, a trespass against God's commandments. In other words, we know clearly what God's commandment says, and we have willfully and intentionally disobeyed that commandment. That's a transgression. Think of the farmer's field with the fence around the field, and there on the fence there is a sign. It is clearly written, clearly visible, no trespassing, but we have climbed the fence and we have trespassed. Well, that's transgression. It's obvious. And this time of testing that we're in hasn't revealed transgressions to us. We already knew those transgressions. Those things were already obvious. But then we come to the second word, and that word is sin. Sin. And this is a more general word in Scripture that refers to simply missing the mark. We've missed the mark. And the, the term is sometimes used with reference to the archer. You know, the archer pulls back on the bow, the bow and arrow, fires the arrow, but he's missed the target. And that's what sin is. It's missing the target. Now, what is the target when it comes to sin? The target is God's glory. It's God's character. God has made us as his image. He's made us to reflect his character, to reflect his holiness, his justice, his love, his mercy. In a word, his glory. We were made to reflect his glory. And what does the Apostle Paul say in his letter to the Romans? We have all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, we've all missed the mark. We've all sinned. Now, the purpose of times of testing like this is to reveal what's in our hearts. And this is what we read in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. God says there of his people, I tested you in the wilderness to reveal what is in your hearts, that I might know what is in your hearts. And that's what God is doing right now in this time of testing. He's revealing what's in our heart. He is exposing those idols. Peter last week used the image of gold going through the furnace, gold or silver in the crucible. And as it's in the furnace, as it's in the heat, the impurities rise to the surface. The dross comes to the top and it's scooped out. And that's what a time of testing like this does for us. It reveals the sin in our heart. It exposes the idols. They rise to the surface. So I, I know for myself, and I'm sure this is the case for you, these last two weeks have been a time of testing. It's been a furnace. And those sins are now manifest. Those sins are known to you. They've come to the surface. So this isn't not a time of morbid introspection searching our hearts. We know the sins that God has revealed to us in a time like this. You know the sins that God has revealed to you. So they've come to the surface. And they reveal that we, yes, indeed, we've missed the mark. We've fallen short of God's glory. And then the third word is iniquity. And there are two connotations to this word. Uh, the first is the idea of something that is twisted, something that is bent, something that is crooked. And so think of a bent ruler. You can't draw a straight line with a bent ruler. Or think of a, a twisted bow. If you're an archer and you've got a twisted bow, you can't shoot a straight arrow with it. And that's what God says about us here. We are iniquitous. We are twisted. We're bent. It's an inherent flaw or corruption in who we are. But the second connotation, the second meaning of this word, carries the idea of guilt or condemnation. We are found guilty. We are found to be condemned. And so David gives us a picture of who we are before God. We are transgressors. We've transgressed. We are sinners. We've missed the mark. We are 
iniquitous. And there is a charge of condemnation, of iniquity, of guilt upon us. So that's the diagnosis. And all of us is tested by this word. And all of us are tested positive for sin. All of us are guilty. All of us stand condemned. But David doesn't open with a word of condemnation. It's not a word of condemnation. It's a word of blessing. It's a word of grace. It's a word of forgiveness. It's a word of justification. And therefore, these opening verses point us to Christ. And the meaning of these verses find their meaning and fulfillment in Christ himself. Now, notice the blessing that David puts before us here. First of all, he says we're blessed because our transgression is forgiven. It's forgiven. Now, think of that word for a moment, the word forgiven, forgiveness. The word carries the idea of something that is either uh, removed or something that's released. So, transgression is a burden that we carry, but to be forgiven means to be relieved of that burden. Transgression is, is like chains that bind us, but to be forgiven is to be released, to be released from those chains. So, we're all bound by sin. We all carry the burden of our transgression. But what is the announcement here? We're forgiven. We're released. We're relieved of the burden. Now, how does that happen? It happens because the burden of our transgression, the bond of our sin, was put on Christ. Christ was nailed. He was fastened to the cross. Christ bore the burden of our transgression upon the cross. He died in our place. That's why we have forgiveness of sins. Then David goes on to say, our sin is covered. It's covered. The word there carries the idea of something that is hidden, something that's hidden away. Yes, Jesus was crucified for our transgressions. He was crucified and then buried. Our sin, our transgression was put on Christ and then he was buried. He was hidden away. And our sin, our transgression was buried with him, was hidden with him. It's covered in Christ. And then finally, David says, blessed is the man... uh, upon whom the Lord counts no iniquity. The Lord counts no iniquity. Yes, the transgression has been removed. Yes, the sin has been covered. It was buried. But three days later, Christ rose from the dead. He broke free from the grave. He left our sin there. And the announcement that is now declared in Christ is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Blessed is the one on whom the Lord says, the Lord does not count iniquity. And that's us in Christ. Christ was delivered for our trespasses. He died for our transgressions. And he was raised for our justification. And now the risen Christ puts on us his righteousness, his glory. There is, the Lord counts no iniquity. So David begins with that word of blessing. He begins with that gospel. And it's a reminder That our repentance is always a response to God's word of blessing, God's word of grace. It is not the means by which we receive or achieve His blessing and grace and forgiveness. It's always a response to His grace. And David begins with that word of blessing. Now David goes on in verses 3 to 4 to say that he was slow to repent. He knew this of God. He knew that God was gracious and merciful. Even so, He was slow to repent. He was silent. He didn't acknowledge his sin. He didn't confess his sin. And so what does he say? Because of that, the the hand of the Lord was heavy upon him. And that's what we're experiencing right now as God's people. 
we are experiencing the heavy hand of God upon us. And the reason His heavy hand is upon us is because He is bringing us to this place of repentance. He's calling us to repentance. Yes, God takes us through times of testing to to expose, to reveal, to know what is in our heart, and we've seen it. But He also sends us, he sends us into, into times of, of exile, times of the wilderness. We are all separated this morning. We are exiled from the sanctuary. We're exiled from the congregation, from worship. And the reason for such times is clear in Scripture. You can read it in Leviticus 26. You can, you can read it in 1 Kings chapter 8. The reason God sends us into exile like, like we are now is in order to turn our hearts back to Himself, in order to bring us to a place of repentance. His hand is heavy on us right now so that we might repent. David knew the heaviness of God's hand. We are feeling the heaviness of God's hand right now. And so David says, finally, and this is God's call to us today, finally he repents. He repents. Look at what he says in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now notice, first of all, how David describes his repentance. I acknowledged my sin. I acknowledged it. God has revealed sin in our lives over the last two weeks. We need to acknowledge that now. Name it. Be specific about it. Don't be vague. Don't just say, yeah, God's doing some things in my life right now. We need to name the sin. Be specific about the sin. And then confess it. That means speak it out. And there's an opportunity for us with a trusted brother or sister to say, hey, this is what the Lord has been revealing to me in my life right now. This is what he's been showing me. Confess our sins. And then notice how personal this is. Look at the first person pronouns in this verse. I acknowledged my sin. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions. It's personal. It's specific. This is not a time just for general prayers of confession. And even on a Sunday morning, you know that prayer of confession that we all pray together? That's a fairly general prayer of confession. This is a time to be specific. And it's, it's my sin. You know, I'm confessing. I'm acknowledging my sin, my iniquity, my transgression. And then what, what we will find is what David found. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That experience of blessing, that salvation, that assurance of forgiveness, it's personal. You will know it. You will know it for yourself. So David calls us to repentance. And then we we turn to the second half of the psalm. And that starts in verse 6. We have repentance in the first half. Then we have revival. Revival in the second half. And here we see the fruits of repentance. And here we see the marks of revival. It's a renewed life of prayer, of obedience, it's a, a, a new commitment to witness and worship. And maybe we can think about these fruits of repentance or these marks of revival with four words. Seeking, submitting, uh, singing. Seeking, submitting, speaking, and sinning. There we go. I got the four. All right. Seeking, submitting, uh, Speaking and singing. So first of all, seeking. Seeking. That's going to be the fruit of our repentance, our our seeking after God. It's prayer. Look at verse 6. 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. So repentance just isn't simply turning away from sin, acknowledging sin, confessing sin. It's also turning towards the Lord Jesus, turning to Christ, seeking after Him. This is a time for us to be on our knees in prayer, seeking after Christ, seeking the Lord. Let's remember that He has called us to be a priestly people. We are priests. And part of the work of priests is to pray, to intercede for others. And this is a time where the church is called to pray. It's called to intercede. We need to be seeking after the Lord while He may be found. This is a time in which He may be found. We're called to pray. We're called to intercede. And priests intercede on behalf of others. And we as God's people are a kingdom of priests and we are called to intercede on behalf of the nations, on behalf of the world. We need to be praying for the world right now. We need to be praying for the lost. And what we need to be praying for is that in this time they will hear the voice of the Lord Jesus calling them, that they will, retur- they will turn to the Lord in repentance, that they will call on the name of the Lord. That's our prayer right now. And so, yes, what we're hearing about in the news constantly is that we need to you know, flatten the curve, flatten the curve of infections. Okay, yes, we're concerned about that. But as God's people, as his priests, we are praying that God would flatten the curve of sin, that he would flatten the curve of rebellion against him, that he would flatten the curve of apostasy from the Lord Jesus. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're calling for at a time like this. We are crying out for the world. We are interceding for the world. And let's remember what we heard a couple of weeks ago in Revelation chapter 8. When we pray, when our prayers go up to heaven, they are mixed with incense And then they are mixed with fire from the altar and the fire and the incense and the prayers of the saints are hurled back to earth. And there are rumblings and there are peals of thunder and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Let's not underestimate the power of the prayer of God's people at a time like this. We are calling for the world to wake up. We are calling for the world to repent and turn to Christ. And... We can believe the promise that we see in Revelation chapter 8, that the world will be shaken by our prayers. The world will be woken up by our prayers. Let's not be lazy in prayer. We need to seek the Lord while He may be found. And as we're praying, as we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, as we're looking to Him, we'll find that our assurance of His presence, our assurance of His protection and provision and peace will grow at a time like this. And look at verse 7. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. As we seek after him, we'll grow in the assurance of his presence and protection and provision and peace. And notice there's a promise there. For us, there's a promise there. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. That's a promise. Because right now, we are not surrounded by shouts of deliverance. I am I'm, I'm here alone in my office while Michael Benucci is behind the camera. It's the two of us. You are in, in small groups. You're with your family in your homes. We are not surrounded by shouts of deliverance. And so let's also be praying that the Lord would call us back to the sanctuary, that he would allow us to c- congregate once again, that we may be surrounded by shouts of deliverance. Let's cry out for that. We should be longing for that and praying for that. So that's, that's the first fruit of repentance, the first mark of revival. It's seeking the Lord. It's prayer. 
But then the second fruit of repentance and mark of revival is submitting, submitting to the Lord. Look at verses 8 and 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. We need to submit to the Lord. And here the Lord is saying, I will instruct you. I will teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you. And he says, don't be like the horse, the wild horse. Don't be like the mule that is stubborn, that has to be reined in with bit and bridle. And that's what's happening to the church right now. God is having to rein us in. God is having to curb us with bit and bridle because we haven't been submitting to him. He needs to break us. That's what's happening right now. And David is saying, don't be like that. Don't be stubborn. Don't be arrogant. Don't be prideful. This is a time for humility, a time for surrender, a time for submission, a time to submit to his word. And let's listen to his voice. It is the voice of the Lord Jesus, his word, his command that governs and directs our life. Let's listen to his instruction, his teaching. He will show us the way we should go. Let us follow him. Let us submit to his counsel because we know his eye is upon us. So, submitting. Thirdly, the mark of uh, the fruit of repentance and the mark of revival is speaking. So yes, we are seeking the Lord in prayer. Yes, we are listening to his word and we are submitting to his instruction and his teaching. But we're also speaking. We're speaking his word. If you look at those verses, you can read them two ways. And we're meant to read them two ways. On the one hand, God is speaking. He's the one who will instruct us and teach us. On the other hand, David is speaking. The penitent one, the one who's repented. Now he says, I will instruct you. I will teach you. This psalm is his teaching. He says the same thing in Psalm 51. After repenting of his sin, he says, I will instruct sinners in your ways. And so David is speaking to us now. And here what we see is God's calling on us. One of the fruits of repentance, one of the marks of revival, is that we are called to speak the word of God. And here is the question I have right now. Where is the church's voice in the present crisis? We are hearing lots of voices, but where is the voice of the church? What is the church saying? And is it simply, is all we have to say in this crisis Is it simply a repetition of what everybody else is saying? Are we simply saying to the world, yes, we need to maintain social distance. We need to stay home because we love our neighbors and we need to love our neighbors. Is that it? Yes, we need to be looking out for one another, check in on your neighbor, offer to buy groceries. Yes, everybody's saying that. And is is the church called to simply give its endorsement to that? Is the word of God simply an endorsement? to that counsel and that advice? Is it limited to that? And this is my concern, that that's all the church is saying right now. We're simply repeating what the government is saying or what the chief medical officer of health is saying. Yes, we are a priestly people. Yes, we are called to pray. We are called to intercede. But we are also a prophetic people. 
Yes, we speak to God on behalf of the world. We do that. We're priests. But we are also a prophetic people and we are called to speak to the world for God. And the world needs to hear the voice of His people right now. The world needs to hear the voice of the church. Canada needs to hear the voice of the church. Toronto needs to hear the voice of the church. People in your life, people that you know, your neighbors, your friends, your family, your co-workers, they need to hear your voice right now. Now consider what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 7-8. He says this, If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is, what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? And this is my concern right now in the midst of this crisis, that the church, that the people of God are giving an indistinct sound. Now listen, we have the Word of God. We've heard the Word of God. And we know why things like this happen in history because God has told us why things like this happen in history. He is calling the nations to Himself. He's calling the nations to to repentance. He's calling the nations to call on the name of the Lord. And we need to speak up and we need to declare that Word. We need to call the world, the nations, to repentance. We need to call on them, to call on the name of the Lord. And we need to point people and call people to the Lord Jesus because He was delivered up for our trespasses. He was raised for our justification. There is blessing in the salvation and the forgiveness of our trespasses and sins in Christ alone. People need to be... People need to turn to Christ and we need to call them to turn to Christ. This is not a time for the church to be silent. God is calling the world to repentance. He's calling the world to himself. And how will they hear unless we, his people, speak up? So that is a fruit of repentance. It's a mark of revival that we boldly declare the word of the Lord at a time like this. And then finally, the last fruit of repentance, the last mark of revival is singing and rejoicing. And this is where we ended up last week. Rejoicing. Rejoicing again. We sing and rejoice. Now we rejoice because as we repent and turn and as we seek Him, we know His presence, we know His love. And therefore we sing and we rejoice. So look at verses 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. The Lord is strengthening our faith. The Lord is assuring us of His love at a time like this. Therefore, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Yes, this is a time for rejoicing. It's a time for singing. Remember what the Lord Jesus said. That every time one person, one sinner repents, there is great rejoicing and singing in heaven. And the Lord has brought this calamity upon the earth in order to turn people to himself. And there are people who are repenting. And we are repenting. And Jesus tells us that heaven rejoices and sings when that happens, when just one person turns to the Lord. That's happening right now. And we are citizens of heaven. Therefore, we join the angelic, the heavenly choirs. We are singing and rejoicing with heaven right now. But even as we sing, even as we, as we rejoice, there is lament in it because we don't sing and rejoice together. And so this psalm leaves us with that lingering promise that we will be surrounded with shouts of deliverance. And right now we're not. 
And so we sing in hope. And even this morning, as you've gathered together, we're singing. But we're singing in hope, looking forward to that day when we will all be together again, singing and rejoicing together. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and we praise you for the gift of your word to us. Your word which shines a light and a word through which and by which we are able to interpret our present time. And Father, I pray that as we turn to the Lord Jesus in repentance, as we seek after Him, as we listen for His Word, as we open up our Bibles day by day and we listen for His voice and we submit to His instruction and His teaching and His counsel and we follow Him in the way He is leading us, the way that we should go. I pray that you would also be building us up in in boldness, that we would fulfill that prophetic calling. Lord, give us courage to talk to our neighbors, to talk to friends and family and co-workers. Lord, to point to the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, you who were delivered up for our trespasses, you who were raised for our justification. And Father, I pray you would raise up your people, your church at this time, to make a distinct noise, a distinct sound. Lord, may we lift up our voice and clearly speak your word and call the nations to Christ. Call this country, this city, our neighbors to the Lord Jesus. And Lord, in it we rejoice. In it we sing for joy because we know your presence. We trust in your good, sovereign purposes in all this. But Lord, we also sing in hope And we long for that Sunday morning. And Father, I pray it would be soon where we are gathered together again to sing your praises. And so, Father, I ask for your blessing upon each person listening to this, each one of my brothers and sisters in the life of this church, and for all your saints in this city, in this province, in Canada. Father, I pray that we would abide in your word that we would know your presence and love, and that you would equip us for every good work at this time. For we ask it through the precious and powerful name of the Lord Jesus, and we ask it by his Spirit, by your Spirit. Amen. This message has been brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share this content, but do not charge for it or alter it in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. For more resources, please visit ezrainstitute.ca.